This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast. Of course, brought to you by the good folks at Bet Rivers. Remember, download the Bet Rivers app as we get into this crazy portion of the football season. Bowls will abound. You got college basketball up and flying. You got all the all the NFL as we come down the stretch in this NFL season. So uh, download the app for all of your wagering needs, for all kinds of prizes, for games, for innovative stuff. So uh, go to betrivers.com. Uh, just download the Bet Rivers app, the new and improved Bet Rivers app, and away you go. All right, away we go. Obviously, the jet situation has gone from comical to ludicrous to just completely hard to even fathom. I mean, this out-of-control season has spun to a point where, honestly, the only thing between the unemployment line and many of the people in that organization is and stands Aaron Rodgers. And yesterday, Aaron Rodgers spoke out. We all heard it. The bottom line, it was admirable. I, I give him credit for stepping up and trying to protect a quarterback who has been completely beleaguered, a young quarterback who has, he has been, listen, he's been bad, but he's been beat up. Let's be honest. Uh, I think what Aaron tried to do was uh, admirable. I have great respect for Aaron Rodgers as a player, but let's be honest. He has way, way too much power inside the Jet organization right now. There's no one else running the show. He is running the entire show. He is setting the tone. I mean, he yesterday basically acted like someone who came in from on high and is trying to teach this terrible, just, you know, completely inept organization how to function, how to learn, how to win. And what more insulting thing can you do than come in and say, I'm going to teach you how to win? Yes, he's been a winner. No one's saying he's not. He's an all-time great. He has a championship ring. A lot of people would like him to have more than one, but he doesn't. But he has one. The bottom line is he's been an all-time great. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks I've ever seen. No one can dispute that even a little. He's a four-time MVP. He's a walk-in Hall of Famer. He's going to be always mentioned with great quarterbacks who have ever lived. He has a tough chore here, and I, I can't wait to see him try to fulfill it next year. And while he said some admirable things yesterday, and I uh, give him credit for trying to protect a beleaguered youngster who has gotten beat up and who made another mistake, and it was a leak, absolutely, but there are leaks all the time at organizations. The idea that winning organizations don't leak is nonsense. Organizations leak all the time. This is the big city. This is not Green Bay. This is not Cleveland. This is the big city. There's a lot of media. There's a lot of factions. There's a lot of different entities. 
things are always going to be buzzing and there's always going to be rumors. So the idea that that ever stops when you win or any other time is nonsense. Winning teams leak. Don't think they don't. They just win on the field. This team can't get out of its own way. And when it leaks, it's more destructive. That's all. But he stepped in to try and create something, and the coach did also on the day before. And that was to protect Zach from what would have been occupational suicide. The idea that he refused to perform would follow him his whole career and could cost him his career. So that had to be cleared up. And we're going to go on the benefit of the doubt that there was a misunderstanding and just leave it at that. And I would be very surprised if Zach isn't the quarterback this week. Now, none of them have played well, including Zach. And I'm not expecting anything to turn around now at this point of the season where this offense continues to be just a study in ineptitude. But that is something that could have been incredibly destructive to Wilson's entire career. You cannot refuse to go in. As a matter of fact, he should have, if the fact is he refused to go to start when he was asked to start, he should be released immediately if that did happen. Now, I don't know that it happened, and I don't think it happened the way people explained it. I think there's a story there, but I think there was either frustration or someone who's in his camp or a player who maybe heard something, leaked something, but let's move on and let him play the game. But here's the thing that Roger said I want to get to. Um, you know, soon to take back the reins. This premise that he is still thinking, even one iota about coming back to play this year, has to be driven from the conversation and out of his head immediately. And if somebody in that organization doesn't have the backbone to step up to him and tell him, you're not playing this year. Get ready for next year. Build your foundation the right way. Don't rush. We have plenty of time now. We are looking for you to be there opening day behind a rebuild offensive line and with a quality backup. That should be our game plan. If we have any other one, we shouldn't even be there. But the idea that you would bring him back or even foster conversation in that regard, first of all, at four and eight right now, if the Jets run in the table, at 9 and 8, I don't even know if they'd get into the playoffs. I'm, I would think right now they probably wouldn't. That's how competitive the AFC is going to be. The other thing is the Jets have no tiebreakers, either in the division or in the conference. They're 1 and 3 and 2 and 6. So even if they ran the table, they're not going to have the numbers to get in. And they're not going to run the table. Texas at Miami, that's before the targeted date that everyone talked about, which would be Washington on Christmas Eve, which would be a present in itself because Rodgers, even with this inept Jeff offense and the inept Jeff offensive line would tear Washington's secondary apart because right now they don't have a secondary. They right now are putting forth one of the worst pass defenses in the history of the NFL. DeVito took them apart, which is why he's playing. Everybody is taking them apart. Tyreek Hill looked like he was playing high school players last week. So he would come back and do that, but did anybody check the rest of the schedule? Did you see that on the 28th, on Thursday night, they would be in Cleveland? In Cleveland! Could you imagine Aaron Rodgers in Cleveland on the 28th against a Cleveland team that is trying to fight its way into the playoffs with a great defense and a dynamic pass rush? 
in Cleveland weather in late December at 8 o'clock at night. You want to put him on that field against that defense in those conditions with that offensive line? What are you doing? Setting him up to get killed? It might be 2-1 to one, he doesn't survive the game. You don't want him anywhere near Cleveland on the 28th of December. So forget this nonsense. The idea of him taking the reins means I'm coming back and I'm preparing for next year. And that should be the focal point. But Aaron should go back to playing quarterback and let the Jets run the organization. The players he brought in this year didn't work. You want his input into the offense. I understand that. Hackett's here because Aaron wants him. Salah may only be here now because Aaron wants him. That's fine. Everyone can live with that. They're going to have to live with that because that's going to be fact. But the bottom line is let the people who were paid to bring people into the team and cut the roster do their job. And their job is simple this offseason. It's one-dimensional. Rebuild the offensive line. Number one, number 1A, number 1B, rebuild the offensive line. In every possible move you make, make the offensive line better. And find a backup quarterback who can play. The Colts are 7-5. and five. Been a little lucky at times. They've done it with Taylor in and out of the lineup. They've done it without Richardson. They've done it with Minshaw, who is a backup quarterback who throws too many interceptions, moves the club, and is 7-5. and five. Look what Browning did the other night. Having a backup quarterback who can play makes all the difference in the world. The Jets didn't have a backup who could play on the roster. It's clear. Two weeks ago, they're singing the praises of Boyle. Now he's out of the organization. Zach is on his way out of the organization. You can forget anybody else who's here being part of the future. They need a backup quarterback. So that should be the only thing they're thinking about for next year. It should be Rodgers on opening day, not a minute before, and don't want to hear any more conversation about it. Number two, rebuild the offensive line. Number three, get a backup quarterback who can win a couple of games and keep you alive if he goes down. Now, if he goes down for the season, you're probably not going to have your year. That's all there is to it. But anything else is folly. The idea that he would come back and step on the field this year is one of the most ludicrous notions I've heard in years. The Jets, anyone who would be behind or supportive of that decision should be fired immediately. It should not even be in the conversation. And if he needs to be told to back off and get ready for September, then tell him. He's an employee. He doesn't own a team. He acts like he owns a team. I understand that. But you've allowed him to have that. Now, the Giants have decided to go with DeVito over a now healthy Taylor. Taylor's very unhappy. He gave his body to the team, to the effort. He can make a point for playing. 
But I understand what the Giants are doing this week. They're buying in and giving their fans a little bit of a present. They're not going anywhere this year. They played the Eagles twice in their last three weeks. All they've done the last couple of weeks, remember something. DeVito got some credit for the Cowboy game, which is ridiculous because the game was a complete rout. What he's done is he's thrown some TD passes, mostly against Washington, which is the worst pass defense we've ever seen and gotten worse. And they fired their coordinator and their head coach is out the door. So we know what's going on in Washington. They don't have anybody to play in that secondary. And they're giving up yards by the, by the, you know, by the acre. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's why he has numbers, but he hasn't thrown interceptions. And he's given them a little spirit and a little moxie, and people are buying into the whole Jersey thing. So it's giving the team a little something that's been a diversion. Fine. Run with it. If he plays badly this week against the Packers, you put Tyrod back in. Let him finish the season. That's fine. They're not going anywhere anyway. That shouldn't be that big a deal. Neither one is their quarterback of the future. So it shouldn't be that big a thing, although Taylor's not happy. Okay? And DeVito's ecstatic, and let him have his he's, he's got his minute here. If he never has another one, he's had this. You know, it's not like he's going to become Kurt Warner. All right, last week, he didn't even have a drive for a touchdown. They got the interception to flip the field. They score a touchdown on a broken tackle. That's the only touchdown they score in the game. And the Pats are so inept offensively, they can't score. They went from, you know, losing 10-7 to the Giants to not scoring a point against the Chargers. Their quarterbacks and their offense is so bad right now, they could go forever and not score another point. It's going to be a little different, and the game's going to have to be raised to a different level against a hot packet team. That's all there is to it. And they have two games coming up with the Eagles. And the Eagles are going to need those games. They're going to be fighting for a division title. They're going to be fighting for a number one seed. So they're going to need those games. But I don't think that's anything to get more than amused about. Whether Taylor's quarterbacking or DeVito's quarterbacking, the Giants, who, let's be honest, they've beaten Washington and New England. Let's not get too excited. And both games... We're up for grabs at, at, at certain moments. And those are, right now, as bad as any teams in the league. Maybe the two worst teams in the league. Let's get to baseball. Yankees, who, listen, need to flip this lineup. Need to energize this lineup. We know that. And any Yankee fan who has an understanding of what should happen knows they have to get far more representative from the left side of the plate. Left-handed power, left-handed efficiency. They made a move in that regard getting Verdugo for some prospects. Uh, It's a rare Yankee Red Sox trade. There haven't been that many in modern times. Um. He's, in addition, I mean, he helps. He's not going to, he doesn't answer anything. They still need a very prominent left-handed bat, and I know the one everybody wants, but what's the price? Is the price king? I'm not going to even mention Dominguez. 
what's the price? At what price did the Yankees say no? I think Padres are going to still hold them up, at least for a while. So when everyone talks about this being so imminent, I would say be careful only because I think the Padres, if they play their cards right, are not in a bad position here. Yankees need a big left-handed power hitter. Verdugo's not that. Listen, he had 55 extra base hits last year. He gets some doubles. He gets some triples. He hits double-digit homers. He could probably eke out 20 in the stadium. You know, his 13 could become 20 at the stadium. It's a 280 hitter. He makes them better. I don't have to look at another lousy right-handed hitter. They need depth in the outfield. So it's a step in the right direction. It's just a step. to be checked off for the Yankees this year. And I'd love to see some guys go, but I'm not going to jettison guys today. But there's four or five guys I just desperately want off the roster. And some of them are prominent. The bottom line is they have to improve their left-handed presence, their left-handed power, and it would sure be beneficial if they could find a leadoff hitter because they don't have a leadoff hitter in the lineup. I don't like LeMayo as a leadoff hitter. They need a leadoff hitter who can get on base and who on base can use his legs. That's what they need to set the table in front of Judge at all. They desperately need that. They really need a leadoff hitter. And I'm not a big you know, worrier about who bats second and who bats third. That's a bunch of nonsense and conversation. That's all it is. Whether Judge bats second or third is not that big a deal in the, in the scheme of things. I would bat him third. It's just me. They want to bat him second. I understand the premise. It's not that big a deal. But having the right person at the top, I think, sets a tone right off the bat with good teams. Having that leadoff hitter, having that figure at the top of the lineup who is a presence makes a difference in a lineup. And the Yankees desperately need a leadoff hitter, and they desperately need left-handed power. And whether that arrives in the person of Soto, which obviously everyone seems to think is, you know, you're almost seeing it represented as a foregone conclusion. I don't know that to be the case. I would think anytime you're dealing with a player of that magnitude, nothing is given. I think there could be a couple of surprise moves here this year. I'm surprised Trout hasn't been moved, to be honest with you. I thought that could happen, and I thought he'd welcome it. And I, th- I thought Trout would finally find his way to Philadelphia. I really did. I don't know if that will happen. I don't even know if it's even possible for it to happen. Where he goes matters, though, obviously to him. But Verdugo is an addition, but he's not an answer. Is that better than what we've watched? Absolutely. Have we tired of watching all these awful right-handed hitters? Yes. And if you don't utilize what Yankee Stadium provides and put left-handed power in the lineup, then you are not playing to your strengths and to your ballpark. 
That's all there is to it. It has to, has to happen. It has to play that way. I mean, if it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And listen, sort of impacts things because you're going to give up quality to get them and you're going to pay them a king's ransom. Both those things impact the franchise going forward. He will be good no matter where he plays. He's an incredibly talented player who's in his prime. He's got plenty of years left, and he's an incredible talent. No one can dispute that, and I don't even dispute it a little. I mean, considering his slugging and his on-base percentage and what he brings to the table, I mean, we know what he is. But when you bring a guy in and give up a lot for him and pay him that kind of salary, you're going to impact your franchise. There's no question about it. And the Yankees have been so reluctant to do certain things in recent years. I want to see how aggressive they really are. This, you know, this hot stove league, this hot stove season. Let's see what happens. And see if this December is a little different than recent December. Back to the NFL. You saw Trevor Lawrence go down the other night. Uh, it's a high ankle sprain. He's never missed a game in the NFL. I don't remember him being hurt ever. Um, you can see how upset he was when he went down. Uh, he says he's playing this week. Uh, I think. I think more likely he sits this week and... And maybe comes back next week. I don't think it'll be more than a two-week injury. So what hurt Jacksonville so much was that they lost that game. Which I don't think would have happened if he was in the game, but it did. And that that's, you know, it kept the Bengals alive. But the Bengals are going to need a miracle because they have no tiebreakers. They're 6-6 six and six and they have no tiebreakers. And although Browning was great, I don't know if he's going to be great every week. You know, a big part of that was the chase play. That was a very big part of the whole night because, you know, when you, when you throw in a 76-yard touchdown catch, that really changes your numbers completely. And that was, listen, we know what Chase can do. And he has not had the year that anyone expected. And part of it is because Burrow's been hurt, couldn't throw the ball early, and then, you know, they had to play with a backup. So it will be interesting to see how he goes forward here, but that was a heck of a prime time uh, coming out party for Browning. The Jaguars, with a win against the Bengals, could have made a very strong move on the number one seed. Now, they're going to win their division. I mean, they're going to win their division. Miami's going to win their division. Kansas City's going to win their division. Baltimore's going to win their division. They're all going to win their divisions. And the wild cards is going to be a free-for-all, an absolute free-for-all. I mean, half the world seven to five and seven to five. And then you got the Bills at six and six, who have a huge game this week with Kansas City. That that is going to be a wild free-for-all. In the NFC, you have, you know, Dallas and Philly are both going, no matter which order they go in. And San Francisco is winning their division. And the Lions are winning their division. And you know that, let's say Atlanta's going to win that division. I think the Saints have fallen apart, so I think Atlanta's going to win that division. Maybe at a game under, but they'll win the division. 
And you know you have five slots in there and counting the Dallas Philly loser. So you got five slots there. And then you see who slips in from there. A lot of teams at six and six. And the Packers seem to be the hottest of the group right now. Seattle's hurting. We'll see how Minnesota does with Jefferson back. So it's going to be very interesting to see. And you got some interesting games, which we'll get to with the, uh, when we go do our NFL program coming your way on Friday morning because there's a lot of interesting games this week, including Kansas City and Buffalo and, of course, the showdown in Dallas between the Eagles coming off that beating at the hands of the 49ers and the Cowboys. You know, I keep getting asked about the MVP in the NFL, and let's be honest. Stroud's not going to win the MVP. Maybe Dak's going to win the MVP. I got to see that to believe it. No quarterback is having an incredible year, just like a, you know, all-time year. And it brings a couple of non-quarterbacks into the mix, namely... Tyreek Hill, who is having what could definitely be a record-breaking season. Now, I would expect down the stretch here, a couple of these teams are going to take him away. You can take him away and make Tua go elsewhere. But it's going to cost you manpower, and it's going to really open things up for Waddle and Aishon, who's a dynamo coming out of the backfield and is back now. Came back the other day, had, you know, 30 yards in catches, 170 yards in rushing, a couple of touchdowns, and he is as fast as fast. He and Hill might be the two fastest guys in the league. The kid in Detroit's fast too, but I think those two might be the two fastest guys in the league. But Hill has a chance, possibly if he keeps up his record pace and finishes with a flourish, because if you're a non-quarterback, you must finish with a flourish if you're going to win the MVP. Two guys have a chance. Hill does and McCaffrey does. McCaffrey's got to pile up the touchdowns. It's all about touchdowns for him. It's not about rushing yardage because he's not going to do anything that's going to be eye-opening. He's got to pile up the touchdowns. If he piles up the touchdowns, has a couple of three-touchdown games, he throws himself right into the mix if you're interested in such things. And it's funny, it's been brought up so many times this year. I, I guess because there's not a, you know, it's not like, oh, it's between Josh Allen and Mahomes and we just leave it at that. And it's a, you know, it's a quarterback and we go, away we go. There is a lot of debate this year because nobody is a clear-cut favorite. Not even close. You know, A lot has been talked about with what happened to Florida State in the playoff, and it was really unfair. But understand exactly what happened here. This was a case of the committee just getting boxed in, and they didn't know how to say the – they didn't come out and honestly say, listen, we're screwed here. If Georgia had beaten Alabama – We take Florida State and we have four unbeaten teams. We have Michigan, Washington, Georgia, Florida State, four unbeaten teams, and we have a playoff. The problem was once Bama beats Georgia, after surviving Auburn, so they only have the one loss, which is critical. Once Bama beats Georgia, they we're never going politically to leave the SEC champion 
especially when it's Alabama, out of the proceedings. The SEC has completely dominated the format, completely. To leave them out, it would be hard to have the SEC in any way sanction the champion. They would have said, how are you having a championship without our representative? We are the power in college football. No one can dispute that. Nobody would dispute that. Nobody would dispute the SEC's place, how dominant they've been, how much they've been the power league in all the college football. So you knew Alabama was going. And if Alabama went, there is no way they can leave Texas out because it goes against one of their most important things, which is we want you to schedule and we want to honor when someone goes on the road and beats the big team. Well, Texas went to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama by 10 points. So once Alabama was brought in, it brought Texas in on the Alabama coattails. They had to be admitted because they beat Alabama by 10. And that meant they had to say, well, we, this is really about them losing a star quarterback and they're not the same team. Hey, Florida State earned it on the field, and that counts for a lot. You never can discount performance. Performance is the first criteria. Then we get to things like injuries and eye tests and everything else and matchups. The bottom line is performance is the first criteria, and they won all their games. They earned the right to figure this out. They earned the right to run the ball for 300 yards or come up with a great defense or have a backup quarterback have a miracle day. That's the bottom line. And who cares if they went in there and got blown out? They've had blowouts every single year in this, in this format. Absolutely. Last year was 65-7 to in the final. They've had winners by 38, 38, 35, 33. Go down the list. Most years there's a route. And they can't fall back on we've taken the four best teams because if we lined up 20 people and said, give me the four best teams in the country, Georgia is absolutely one of the four. They've been the dominant team for three years. They were the number one team all year this year. They are the best team in college football. Right now, Georgia would be favored in any of the matchups. They had a bad day. They lost a close game to Alabama. It happens. But we all know they're not only one of the four best teams, they're probably the best team. I think it's close. But what happened was they were left with, we have to take Alabama. That means we have to take Texas. So we have to come up with some way to screw Florida State. They didn't want to do this to Florida State. You think they liked the fact that they wake up and Florida State's number three in the poll and undefeated and they don't have them in the, in the tournament? And Florida State raising craziness. And listen, Florida State's going to get beat by Georgia with a backup quarterback. That's not the point. That doesn't prove anything. The bottom line is they earned their way into the format. They earned their way into the playoff. And they got screwed because they had to have SEC representation. And Texas was in the perfect spot to ride Alabama's coattails right 
into the proceedings. It was a perfect storm for the committee. There was no way out. That's what happened. It was politics. They, and, and listen, to, let's be honest. To sanction this proceeding, you have to have an SEC team there. You have to. So did Florida State get screwed? Absolutely. Gives them something to yell about. Because they weren't going to win it anyway. They'll be more remembered for the snub than probably anything else. And you have very representative games because look at the two games. Michigan can beat Alabama. Alabama can beat Michigan. Washington can beat Texas. Texas can beat Washington. And either one of those teams could beat the other teams. No team stands out right now, which is finally a good thing. They might actually wind up with some good games this year, which most years they don't anyway. But that's what happened. It was three into two. Doesn't go. And they were dead. They were in for a sleepless Saturday night and no answer once Alabama beat Georgia. And Garrett Danielson hit it on the head at the end of that game when he said there's no way they are leaving the SEC and Alabama out of this. And they weren't. He was 100% right. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. 